Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Here at The Next Reel, we've been passionately discussing movies week after week since 2011. That's a lot of movies and a lot of conversation. Sure is, Pete. And to be honest, it's a lot of work, too. But it's work that we love. If you've been enjoying our show, we'd like to remind you that there are ways to support us, even if you're not able to become a member just yet. You might have heard us talk about our new watch page, where we've listed every movie that we've talked about paired with Amazon or Apple links to rent or buy the movie. Now we'd like to introduce you to our Originals page. Let's take a trip down memory lane, Andy. Do you remember what the first film we discussed on The Next Reel was that was an adaptation? Uh, well, let's see. It wasn't, obviously, our Indiana Jones series, because those were all original. Uh, then we did Charlie Kaufman. Uh, oh, of course, it was Adaptation uh, from Susan Orlean's Orchid Thief. Exactly. We have covered quite a few adaptations over the years, and now we're providing a way for our listeners to delve into the original source material. That's right. Just head over to thenextreel.com slash originals, and you can see the list of all the adaptations that we have discussed. From our David Fincher series, featuring The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, and Fight Club. To our Paranoia trilogy with The Parallax View and All the President's Men. We have covered a variety of adaptations. Those were some great discussions, especially Fight Club. And let's not forget our baseball series with The Natural and Field of Dreams, adapted from Shoeless Joe. And Up in the Air and Thank You for Smoking. So many memorable conversations. Absolutely. And you know what's exciting? Each purchase you make through our links doesn't cost you any extra, but a percentage goes to support the next reel in our family of shows. You can support us while diving deeper into these fantastic stories, whether it's the paper, audiobook, or Kindle version. We've also included plays and movies. If they were the source, we've put it on there. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals, support the next reel, and get your next great read today. I'm off to reread Fight Club. Now, where did I put my Kindle? I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. the next reel everybody i'm pete wright and that there is andy nelson hey 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 and we spoil movies in just a matter of seconds you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day long before we had a website or listeners or taste or class we called ourselves movies we like which was with the benefit of hindsight a terrible name. But before we send you through the window of time to gaze your earballs on movie podcast history, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you decide to become a regular listener of this show and you're interested in supporting our ongoing work on our other series like The Film Board or The Speakeasy and Trailer Rewind, please consider a regular donation to us through our Patreon page at Patreon com slash the next reel all the contributors are invited to join us in our slack channel where we have tons of fun and they are entered to win our regular contests guest spots on this very show all sorts of good stuff so thank you everybody for downloading and listening to the next reel we appreciate your time and attention we hope you enjoy the show and it's good stuff it's great stuff it is, it is. It merry christmas merry christmas are we recording already why not <laughs> we're not or why no not? why not of course we are. You know, I you know I start. I try to start before you are aware. You you start before I'm aware, and you you stop way after I think we're in the clear. <laughs> so Merry Christmas, Merry that's Christmas. The, that's the this happy is, holidays, Happy Hanukkah, it is. Happy Kwanzaa, Felicia Rashad, and uh, I'm sorry, Felicia Felicia Rashad. <laughs> It's my new holiday greeting. I like that. <laughs> Felicia Rashad, Felice, everybody. Felicia Rashad. Uh, uh, and Hare good. Krishna. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, we have some follow-up. I have a little oh. bit of follow-up. Yes? What are we following up? Well, you know what I uh, you know what I saw this week. I told you I was gonna see it and I saw it. You don't care. I don't remember. <laughs> Same thing. I Same know. thing. Yes. Super 8. Oh! I did. oh. What was that sound you just made? I don't know. It was a little... It was a little... Um, wow. Lady or something. Wow, that <laughs> oh, was... Oh, isn't that special? Fascinating. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you make that sound. I don't think I've made that sound before. <laughs> I... Uh, you know, you were... Uh, a little bit feisty about this movie. You were a little bit uh, cryptic. You kept your opinion on your uh, up your sleeve last week when I told you I was going to watch this on the on the plane, and oh, now right. I've watched it. Now I've watched it. Okay. Well, well, unadulterated. Why don't you tell me what you think without me uh, poo pooing anything? 
or overpraising. You never know no, what it I'm was, going to have. Do you know it was great? You know it was great. It's going to be up your sleeve. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to go to that point. <laughs> the uh, this was. I I don't know. I mean, it's like Super Eight. <laughs> I I guess I got the special kind of uh, lens flare edition. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Tell me that was a special director's cut. <laughs> I'm on the plane. I'm watching it. You know, there's not a lot of space, so I'm holding my iPad kind of close to my to my face because I like to simulate the big screen. Like, oh, right. so I hold it about an inch and a half right. from my screen. So the the screen goes yeah. from like one corner of the eye to the other. That's <laughs> <laughs> so like three inches from the face. Right? That's right. I actually only saw about sixty five percent of the movie because I could not <laughs> see what was going on in the periphery. But uh, so I was blinded every time a character stepped out of the way of a street light. Like it oh, right. just absolutely blinded. Okay, uh, I loved the first act and the second act. And then there were tanks in the street of <laughs> suburban little town. And mm. then it started to bug me. Yeah. It, it's like a movie that just, it, it just swallowed itself whole. And I was disappointed by that because, you know, ultimately, I don't mind the alien. Uh, the, uh, am I not supposed to say that? Has it been out long enough that the statute of limitations on spoilers is? Oh, I, only because I did not know it was an alien movie when I saw it. Oh, I did not know that. I didn't know the. How did what that slip through the cracks for you? I I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I, I guess knew. they didn't advertise the fact that it was an alien, but it, they certainly advertised that there was some sort of unknown. Yeah, it, was a, thing. it was definitely a government thing, right? It was the mm-hmm. the government conspiracy. Government's covering something up, but mm-hmm. that it's giant alien living underground trying to use magnets to to connect trash and build a spaceship. There it is. <laughs> it's out there. I let it out. You, you let it out. Wow. There what are a, so many things I liked about this you're movie, a cruel and I think man. we're going to have to do a J.J. Abrams thing. I know he's not. Uh, I know he's not dead, or you know anything, but we got to do some because there are some. He had that dude is like embracing themes and techniques in a way that I think is really worth talking about. He is. He's he is doing a lot of really interesting things. I mean, he's only done three movies. Right? I know. I know. But it's not even just just the movies, but just his the way he embraces story. I think is yeah. uh, is there's some stuff that he's got going on that's fascinating, and, uh, and so uh, in that respect, there is a lot going on in this movie to like a lot about the way he unfolds mystery that mm-hmm. is great. It it and and I did not think this about Star Wars. Uh, this movie went it just went too far. Mm. It went too far in the end. Like I didn't I didn't need it to be that big. Interesting. I actually enjoyed it. I I, I think it, it just didn't, um, maybe I didn't think about it enough to really decide what it was that wasn't quite working for me. But the thing that, and I don't even know if I should say this, because now I feel like I'm really giving things away if I, if I go. Should I just say it? I mean, you already kind of gave a big spoiler. Yeah, I've sort of, yeah, I've seen it. What, it's not like, I mean, the, come on, it's out there long enough. Yes, that's true. The... Um, at the end of the film, you've got the boy and his father and the alien is like sucking up anything metal all up into the water tower to create his ship. Right. Mm -hmm. And the necklace, um, that the mother had given to the boy starts floating away. Right. And, and for me, I, I mean, I don't mind it. It's it, you know, it, it has that you know very Hollywoody sort of 
uh, storytelling uh, form that it's is going with, and I don't mind it. But the thing I think that that didn't work for me is that um, that gosh, you're gonna have to remind me here. Who grabs the necklace and prevents it from floating away? The well, boy, right? The boy, yeah, yeah. I I think what would have been better to happen is if. Uh, in order to better show the character arc for the boy, um, if the father grabbed the necklace, because the father was, he was the one who's really stuck still yeah. on the mother. And and the theirs thing. and theirs was the relationship that needed some event to tie them together. And this, I think, would have done yeah. it if the father grabbed the necklace yeah. to prevent it from going away. Yeah. And the boy, showing that he is now grown, he's had his conversation with the alien saying, Things don't always work the way you plan them to. Now the boy's kind of, he's had a change in his character. He understands that now. He's, he needs to, he, he understands he needs to let her go now. And he reaches up, grabs the dad's hand and, and, you know, tell, tells his dad or whatever that it's okay. And they let the necklace go. It's, it's always nice when we can sit here and rewrite the movie. It is. No, you're right. I mean, I, I'm with you on it. I, I think you're right. That would be the event that we would need to, to, um, yeah, to kind of complete that character arc. I, you know, yeah. I, I, I like them. I, I actually, I, I feel like I'm hard on it. I'm too hard on it. I, I quite like the movie. It's a movie I'll watch again. And I, I really, it's one of those cases where, uh, everything in it that was at all derivative of, Spielberg's early movies was executed so well. The yeah. reveals, the the reveals, and you know what was revealed and what was hidden visually. Um, I mean, every case it was just expert. It was a um, fantastic Hollywood film. The yeah. way that it was crafted, yep. you know, the 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 film craft was was spot on. Yeah, yeah, true enough. So I liked it a lot. I uh, let's see the other one I watched a little. I actually haven't finished it yet, so I don't think we can talk about it. But the town, mm. um, which is great the, uh, no, movie. I'm, uh, you know, I think people have been uh, a little bit, a little bit hard on it. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm quite enjoying it, uh, and I need to finish it. But this, I, my time zone was off, and I, I, uh, I ran out of time on the plane. It, we landed. I couldn't finish it. I've got like 45 minutes left. I feel like I've got a lot of story left to catch up on. It's it's a really great film. I really love that one. Oh, man. I it's, think, yeah. Uh, I think Ben Affleck's kind of proven himself um, quite an amazing director, which surprised me. That surprised me, too. It's absolutely, yeah. it's very surprising. Okay. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Did you see anything this yeah. week worth talking about? Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember what I've seen this week. Um, you know what I watched again this week um, was uh, nothing new, but I, I rewatched "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou," which oh, uh, I just had such a great time such watching. A great <laughs> such, movie. It was a, a really fantastic story that the Coen Brothers did, and you know, I, I still think it's a little much to say that it's an adaptation of um, of. Uh, the odyssey but you know <laughs> i can see it there i guess but you know i i, I don't know it's, it's just such a lovable film i um lovable is the word it's absolutely lovable it's lovable but i also learned it's not 
quite appropriate for a five-year-old to view with you. <laughs> you didn't. There were. She came in in a few times and she sat with me because they were singing songs and it was all fun and everything. And then all of a sudden there's like a, you know, a big uh, Ku Klux Klan scene. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, that just comes let, right out of nowhere. This. <laughs> let's let you go play in the playroom for a little while. Yeah. Kinda nice. Took me by surprise. That's, but, not, um, uh, that's not good. No, no. But the music is great. And it's, you know, it's funny how the songs that kids sing in, in daycare now are the songs that like everyone was singing, like their old radio songs back in those days, right. like you are my sunshine and everything. So it's, you know, my daughter really, really latched on to the music. So that was really fun to see. Such a great movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. So speaking of old timey movies, mm-hmm. we're no angels. We're No Angels. 1955. 1955 with uh, Humphrey Bogart, Aldo Ray, and Peter Ustinov. There's someone on the roof! And We're No Angels is the international comedy hit that's going to have you laughing like the devil. With Humphrey Bogart and his buddies as three wonderful and wacky fugitive convicts trying to break out of Devil's Island. They even have the bloodhounds confused. Because these three happy outlaws have talent. For instance, Bogart's a genius. He can sell anybody anything. Yes, that's better. No stomach at all. Stop breathing. Peter Ustinov is an artist. He can open anything. That's how he got to Devil's Island in the first place. Quiet, please. Aldo Ray is the lover. He can... Well, maybe we'd better not go into that. Do you find me? That is, do I seem to you? Well, do I? I could go to jail for the way I feel. I wasn't there already. Beautiful Joan Bennett and Leo G. Carroll, the delightfully dim-witted topper of TV fame, just don't know what to make of their uninvited guests. If only they didn't trust us. Which isn't fair. Here we are, three desperate criminals who'll stop at nothing to escape from Devil's Island, and we have to fall in with nice people. But not everybody's so nice. There's that bad man, Basil Rathbone, to complicate everything. Convicts, what are you doing here on Christmas Eve? We're the three wise men. And they really are, the three wise guys who have the solution to everybody's problem, right in that little box. This, uh, what did you think? You hadn't seen this movie. I've never seen it. Um, I uh, have now seen it um, one and a half times. And I've got to say, it's, uh, it is an absolute treat to watch. It's just such a, a fun little discovery of a Christmas film. And you know, it's funny. I don't think I ever even realized that this was a Christmas film. It's a weirdly positioned Christmas film and it's it never is. in the holiday movie section. Like if you, uh, well, no. not that anybody goes to rent anything, you know, anymore, but, but it's not in the, it, it's not in, if you search for it in holiday, like it doesn't come up. Yeah, you'd probably have to find it in classics. Yeah, it's probably the yeah. only place they, they have it filed away. And it's, well, anyway, so go ahead, keep talking. You're good. Well, it's, you know, okay, so so this was a, um, it's just a really nice Christmas comedy from the mid-50s um, with with those wonderful actors um, shot on the Paramount backlot, but takes place on Devil's Island, the uh, the, the French 
penal colony island down off the coast of uh, French uh, Guiana. Is it Gu- Guiana? Guiana? Guiana. Guiana. Thank yeah. you. Um, um, at a point where the there were, I, I guess there were just so many prisoners at that point that the French had sent to live on this island that these prisoners all just kind of like had day jobs and they just like walked around like free people. It's kind of a strange, a strange environment where people aren't really that <laughs> taken aback having conversations about murder and rape and beating people's heads in <laughs> right. with these criminals. I, I it just it struck me as I was as I started rewatching it. I'm like, these this family doesn't even react when they're having these conversations with these guys. It's like they're just so used to being surrounded by criminals. They all live in this this penal colony. It's it's it, really funny. It, in that light, it's such a great uh it, it's such a great demonstration of uh of just absurdist classism. Uh, that that is going on in this community, and it's such a great metaphor for how we look and and talk to people in our lives who are not of the same class. And it's almost un- unintentional because here we go. I mean, Humphrey Bogart does not fit the mold of a convict, right? Uh, and and yet to see the way, uh, you know, I think in particular, um, uh, gosh, uh, who is it who plays uh, cousin Andre? Uh, Basil Rathbone, uh, right? Yeah, right. Basil Rathbone. Basil right. Rathbone. The way Basil Rathbone uh, talks to to Bogart is is just it's it's pitch perfect, like the deepest satire <laughs> of of how classes uh, react uh, to one another. It's really brilliant. It's it is it's fantastic. Not just Basil Rathbone, um, who plays uh, yeah cousin Andre, but also. His nephew Paul. Yes, John you know. Bear. Yeah, John Bear. Paul Trochard. He was he was fantastic. He's the best. The best scene with him is when they when the three criminals um, come into his room after um, cousin Andre has been found dead. <laughs> they come into his room and he's staring at himself in the mirror, uh, w- watching working. you know working on on his crying his sad face. <laughs> Putting on his sad face. The way uh, the way uh, uh, Peter Ustinov says, you know, I really like the droopy one. I, I like the droopy look. That was really good. It's really good. Um, <laughs> okay, so we got We got to step back because I imagine yes. there. You know, this is not a movie. I, first of all, can I just say on a personal level, I'm really proud of this pick because because am too. You uh, yeah. uh, you hadn't seen it, and I, uh, I you know I consider you a uh, discerning gentleman. And I'm really proud that you like this movie because it could have been a flaming uh, pile. Well, and that's, you know, um, because you hadn't seen it in a while. It's been a long you, time. It, it aged it's... so well. I found it so much funnier. Yeah. Oh, my God. I am just laughing out loud as I rewatch this. Yeah. It's so funny. It's got a lot of great humor in it. It really so. does. Uh, so, okay. First, give me your reaction to the opening uh, the open, it, really, the opening two cuts, right? The it, it the whole film, the whole uh, f- uh, stage is set on two longish cuts. Mm. You know, one, the film opens and it pulls out of what we you know understand as the main prison facility, right? It's a mm-hmm. slow pull, and there's a guy singing on a well, donkey it's a tilt, cart. It's a it's a tilt down. It's, it's, it's a, a nice yeah. wide shot because it, it it opens essentially from the Christmas card credits right to to i mean it almost looks like um we're in 
um, biblical times, you know, looking up into the night sky, expecting to see the star of David or something. Right. It's that sort of like you see this this old kind of building and this just huge, huge sky. And I wouldn't have been surprised if I saw a big star glowing in it. Well, and especially trans- is sort of superimposed on top of that. Is, and I don't know what what the song is that the that the sort of raconteur is singing, but it's he's being pulled by a donkey into town while he's playing like a dulcimer or something. I mean, it looks, you know, it's singing a nice little like French country. Song. Yeah, right. I mean, it's a but but you have a, you have every uh, sort of bit the expectation that you're going to see that cart pulling uh, a pregnant woman and her husband, right? I mean, it just looks like a Christmas scene. It's completely, it's setting you up for that Christmas fable. And, and what you miss, what I think uh, I, I, what you almost miss, I think on a first viewing is the three dudes walking down the road behind him. They kind of walk, they take a skip of a few steps and then they keep walking. Mm -hmm. And uh, okay. So, you tilt down, you see that, and then we we uh, uh, fade over to the daytime. the daytime on the port, a busy port. Mm-hmm. In uh, and so that's our uh, that's our port, and we're we're moving in. And what we what we are zooming in on is we sort of uh, as we sort of zoom in on the the activity of the town, we see these three guys la- sleeping mm-hmm. in prison garb. On potato sacks mm-hmm. of some sort, right? Pink p- p- prison guard. They're really it's something. Pink, it's pink prison garb. Pink prison uh, guard. So they they yeah, stand. It's, out. it's like it's like they are with uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio uh, over here in Arizona, who actually has his inmates <laughs> dressed in pink. I'm quite proud to see them in pink. It's great. You should be. <laughs> that's something definitely to be proud of. <laughs> oh, yes. I okay. Yes. So there they well, are. And, and, I, that's the setup. Go ahead. But before before that, we have to at least acknowledge that as we're as we're walk as the camera you know pushes through the the bustling docks, we have to acknowledge the guy who walks by with a big tray of butterflies, saying, <laughs> "All the colors of the rainbow, butterflies." <laughs> it's like selling selling butterflies. I, I was That's just such a strange. So true. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I uh, so I'm you know I I think the way it opens and so what you hear let's see what do you hear as we're zooming in on that or as we're pushing in in through the city it, it's just a lot of bustling noise of of people selling people buying boats uh, you know uh, coming into shore and and you know just all the noise of a busy of a busy coastal town I guess right how do they set up the story how did that hit you. With the uh, the three of them having escaped, yeah, okay, right. So the it is you know, <laughs> I guess what you're talking about is the very um, expositional moment that we have. A little that, bit jarring, right? It's it's straight out exposition. Like yeah. we just we go. These guys are sleeping on the docks. We cut to you know a guy. Um, who's just come in from the big boat that's sitting out in the harbor waiting to unload all of its passengers. And it's just like, I don't know, like 30 seconds of straight exposition about these three prisoners that have escaped and, you know, are they dangerous? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, they, they really, they almost killed a guard. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's very just, wow. I was yeah. like, Oh boy. Yeah, it's right. And you think this movie is going to be terrible. Yeah. 
it it felt yeah that that felt very kind of just old school screenwriting style you know because we don't get to see the escape yeah we don't we don't see the escape we've already joined them as they're lounging by the shore yeah now uh yeah lounging really not they they're not there's no real sense of urgency about their their predicament they're not really into it. they're not really worried well and about it. and i guess you can understand it to a certain extent because like there's so I many said convicts before, there's convicts everywhere and, like, and you see them i mean they're they're it's very clear as you're sort of looking at the town center there's people in the pink stripes everywhere right they're all helping people it's you know it's like work release program but they're yeah. all over the place almost to the point where there's more prisoners wandering around than there are regular citizens of this little town of cayenne right but the um um yeah and and then i guess they what really sets them going you know they decide well what we have to do is we have to get onto that ship um they're trying to figure out how to get onto that ship they you know they're hungry so you know and this is it's it's great because right from the start we really kind of establish the criminality of these guys you know they they don't have or we don't think they have morals right they establish um that they almost killed a guard and then this guy the um the guy on the dock says that and then humphrey bogart's like he didn't die like he's all upset that they didn't successfully kill the guard and then um peter ustinoff playing jules says oh i'm hungry and and humphrey bogart oh let's go steal something Right. <laughs> so they just like walk by the banana cart and they each kind of steal something and then But you can see even there the next uh, the next step Aldo Ray is turning around and he's about to go after and you can see he's about to to you know grab this woman uh, right. walking by with a little parasol and and even then um you know the uh, Bogart I think is the pulls him aside and says you got it you can't do that. He says just what, one but- little pinch. Yeah, and that but see that was one of those moments where I'm like, is that because he just doesn't want them to get caught again, or was he was there some moral involved there? And and when you in the if you're if you're watching it just in the chronology of the of the film, it is obviously at that point all we know is that he just doesn't want to get caught because the yeah. next scene it starts raining and they see the dogs coming and they hide behind the barrels because the police are coming. Uh what but a rainstorm that is too. It was huh? fast. Fast. You <laughs> it blink and it's gone. <laughs> faster than any rainstorm I've ever seen. <laughs> so conveniently timed, just when the bloodhounds are start running down the street to wash away their scent. It was truly brilliant. That was that was I, I have to say that was a very disappointing Deus Ex Machina that happened right there. But <laughs> it was so early in the film and the rest was so pleasurable I can overlook it. I mean, actually, it almost is more comical now, I suppose. It is. It's funnier the second time around. The um, uh, See, now I forgot what I was going to say. We were talking about the uh, the morals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it makes you, when you watch it the second time, you, you sort of are forced to second guess every time Bogart makes a, a you know, so falls on the other side of the moral fence. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. he when he stops committing a crime uh, for some reason it it that's when it starts to unfold for me like you see that his character is oh, he was always like this he was always yeah, the, the robin hood character yeah yeah there is a little more to it okay. it is it is nice to see that yeah i i derailed you you were talking about the story about how they were they were trying to get out of cayenne 
Well, I mean, I, th- I think that's um, I think that's pretty much the setup, you know. Yeah. And then we um, and I didn't I didn't um, catch this until the second time, but you know, at that point they um, they're trying to figure out what to do, and you know, they have to escape these bloodhounds who. Actually, the the escape comes in the form of the rainstorm, and then they conveniently end up meeting this doctor who needs help. and um, And I didn't catch it until the second time that that's the doctor that uh, comes into play later in the film. Right, and yeah. and that I thought was a really nice uh, way to play to to uh, introduce the the ticking time bomb uh, element of the film, right? Because that doctor says in the beginning, he says, you know, we're here. We're, I'm from that ship out there, mm-hmm. and I'm here because we're from out of town and we're on quarantine. Right. And so we have 24 hours before we're going to ship out. Yeah, that gives us a nice little, um, yeah, like you yeah. said, the time bomb for them to get out to the ship. Right. And then as we learn, it turns out to be a time bomb. Also, um, when they start helping the Ducatels, um, a time bomb before Cousin Andre actually arrives. Right. Right. Uh, so they, uh, one of the things that the guy, uh, that the doctor has is a note for, um, uh, for the Trochards. The, the Ducatels. Or the Ducatels. Right. Uh, and so he needs, they, they say, well, we'll take this for you. We'll run this errand for you. And they go and they, that's how they're introduced to the store and the shopkeepers. And, right. And they go in to offer to fix some, to fix the roof. And, and what we're, what we're led to believe is that as criminals, they're going to go in and rob the store, mm-hmm. kill the shopkeeper and his family, slit their throats, slit their throats for Christmas, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, and that's when I, you know, for me, that's one of the best lines in the movie. They're sitting on the roof, and he says, you know, we'll slit their throats, throats for Christmas, and uh, and Peter Ustinov says, uh, that's enough to make one stop believing in Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this that, is so it's great. It's so dry. It's so dry. I, you, you just you absolutely miss it if you don't uh if you're if you're not right on top of it. Not uh, only that, but Peter Ustinov, I mean, this is a movie where it's you have to watch his facial expressions. Yeah. Because he's got some just some classic expressions that he makes throughout this film that just oh, they just leave me on the floor. It's just so fun to watch him. He is a fascinatingly goofy guy. He right? is. He's and great to see in this this comedic role. Exactly. You, know? you just this is one I that it sort of gets to one of the points I had, uh, which is uh how did how did this guy why did this this set of actors do this movie? Yeah, it's really interesting because because you know Humphrey Bogart didn't do a lot of comedies. No, very rare. Yeah, very rare for him to do comedies. I think I think for him it was really more working with. I, I mean, I'm just this is a hunch. I haven't right. read this, but I, I think it's uh, was to work with uh, Michael Curtiz again, the Which director who directed. I, the film. I believe this was the last film they did together. It was the last film they did, but you know, I mean, honestly, it was it was close to the last films that. That yeah, that either of them. Yeah, that he, he did. Because uh, Bogart died um, very shortly after this. This was made in '55. I think he died in '57. You you made so. a comment. I think uh, I can't remember if you put this in the notes or if it's something you said. We were talking. It, it was something related to how the the old school studio system mm-hmm. was right around this time, sort of unraveling. Right. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? The history of that. Yeah. Well, you know. When films were, uh, when the film industry first really came um, 
into its um um i guess i you know its early years where it was um really booming um it was dominated primarily by all these different studios um you had warner brothers and rko and uh united artists and they all um contracted with uh with directors and actors and writers and you know they had a contracted pool of people that they worked with and they you know would come up with projects that they wanted to do they'd put a director on it they'd take some of their stable of actors on and throw them into the film and and um, they would just crank these out they would do a lot of films uh, like a lot of films over the course of a year and um this went on for quite a while i mean michael curtis you know he was um a contracted director with warner brothers and he started you know um they actually kind of i guess you could say discovered him he was a a, a director from europe i can't remember specifically which country but um they they brought him over here because he had made some things that they really liked. They brought him over, started working with their films. While he was at Warner Brothers, uh, he made like at least I think it was at least eighty eight films just at Warner Brothers, um, and half of those films were made between the years of nineteen thirty and nineteen thirty nine. Where he, uh, okay, which, you gotta you gotta say that again. So he made eighty eight films, and forty four of them he made in nine years. Or eight right, years. which averaged to about four and a half films a year or so. I mean, it was it was a crazy number of films that he made um, that he was just cranking these things out. Um, you know, and and Michael Curtiz was a dir- director where they would, um, you know, he was very um, he knew what he wanted. He would um, he's one of those one of those people um, who often is uh, made a lot of. Um, malaprops where he would say things that were completely just not what he meant because of his i I think it was because of his um you know uh english as a second language Mm -hmm. but uh, i think he kind of also knew he was doing that um but anyway he was he was a very stubborn director he would he knew that if he made a film that um that wasn't that good um the audience wouldn't um wouldn't buy into it so so he would just make a film and if if he knew that there was some stuff that wasn't quite good he would say that fast and he would move the story along at such a pace that the audience wouldn't even realize that something not so great had just happened so and when you're averaging four and a half films a year i mean you, you kind of have to push some things along pace. yeah yeah so so anyway he was a fast moving director he made well over 100 films in his uh, lifetime um 8 of them he made with humphrey bogart starting from 37 all the way up through 55, which is when this was. Um, the studio system, it kind of, you know, started having problems in the, in the, uh, in the uh, gosh, I guess it would be the early 50s. Um, you know, the budgets were really um, bloating, getting a lot larger, and um, the TV um, was born and that kind of put a panic, I think in, in, uh, the studio system. And so they were frantically trying to figure out what to do. They started laying off people. And, you know, at that point, that's kind of when people started doing a lot more freelance work. And so, you know, he did his best work at Warner brothers. I mean, that's when he made Casablanca in uh, 1942. Um, you know, he made, uh, I think like 12 films with, uh, Errol Flynn, like, mm-hmm. um, 
um, some of Errol Flynn's most famous movies. In fact, I think he actually is the one credited for discovering Errol Flynn. And, um, but then, you know, he ended up freelancing for um, the last, uh, uh, after 51, I think is when he ended his contract with Warner Brothers. He only made like 12 more films until he died in 1962. So he really slowed down quite a bit. And this was in that period. And he, and this was with uh, Paramount that he made this film. So, hmm. well, uh, and so that, that's what kind of makes me wonder about the, um, you know, as that, what are the, what is the set of circumstances that brings all these people together? Basil Rathbone in this movie. I mean, really? It, it's just so <laughs> uncharacteristic to have some of these guys in this film. And, and yet, uh, it is really as a as a as a whole quite a, a magical film. It's a caper movie, really. It's yeah. It's 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 kind of just this. Ah, it's it's it is kind of a tricky film. It is kind of a caper. It's kind of this this goofy dark comedy thing Very going dark. on with this with this Christmas story. Well, um, and that's one of the things I feel like is an is another uh, standout element of the movie is that that uh, these guys are murderers and rapists and they the the script in general plays light on some very dark and violent topics that you don't hear discussed openly in a Christmas film, let alone a Christmas film in the 1950s. Right. Uh, I, I, here here's a great example of what you're saying. Um while setting the table, um, what's his name? Albert, mm -hmm. played by Aldo, Aldo Ray, Ray. Um, is talking to Isabel, the daughter of Felix and um, Amelie uh, Ducatel. And, uh, you know, she's she was just about to go kill herself. She she was leaving because she was so distraught that this man she loved, Paul, um, was going to be marrying another woman. And so she was going to kill herself. And and. Uh, Albert is just like, oh, and she, you know, she doesn't think she's very beautiful. Albert th said, oh, you're very beautiful. And she really latches on to that to the point where, you know, while she ends up helping him set the table, she's trying to, you know, she asks him some questions about his life. He's like, you know, he starts talking about this man that he killed and, and she's like, oh, how could you do it? And he's just like, oh, with a, with a, you know, fire poker, mademoiselle. <laughs> With a fire poker. Yeah, I hit him in the head 16 times. And she's like, oh. And then she instantly changes her tune. And it's just like, well, so, but I believe we were talking about what you were saying about you thought I was beautiful. Right. It's like, <laughs> it's and like, somehow that works. It does. It's so strange. Oh. It is. And then, and then yeah. of course, he has to do the little, um, the little, butt pinch with her which <laughs> that was i think one of the that uh god that just made me laugh it's it's a whole it, it's a whole strange package it is <laughs> such a strange little package not a not a uh not not necessarily a, a pro uh sort of feminist movement film it doesn't. I don't think it handles women <laughs> terribly well. But 1955, yeah. it is what it is. Uh, yeah. And the movie, we should say, takes place in 1895. Correct. So right, right. It's definitely a uh, sort of a period piece. Uh, okay. So the caper is: we've already established that our three uh, criminals protagonists. Yes. yes. Uh, have come. They're planning Albert to jewels. Right. Right. They're they're planning to uh, kill the family. Take the money take some new threads, get on the boat after quarantine and get out of Dodge. 
Uh, and what they discover is that the family is struggling to run the business. And there are right. increasing pressures from Cousin Andre. Who owns the business. Who owns the business and has, has fronted all of the... Uh, all the cash to keep the business running. He's coming. They they receive a letter to find out that he is coming into town uh, to audit the business mm-hmm. over right. Christmas. Wants to take Christmas to uh, to do inventory. Right. Uh, while while no one's shopping. Uh, at, while no one is shopping, he wants to use the quiet day to uh, to do an inventory. Perfect day for an inventory. Perfect day for an inventory. Well, in the meantime, the three guys have started, uh, have found sort of a soft spot in their hearts for the family. And uh, Bogey's character, uh, Joseph, is, uh, he, he sits down and starts taking a look at the books. He's apparently an expert forger. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, at one point says, you know, you give me a, a good pen and I'll get you a, a passport that'll take you to the moon. Right. Uh, and and so he starts looking at the books and they also discover that he's an incredible salesman and he sells, uh, you know, a, a silver brush and comb set to a bald man. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, I, the, one of the, the best moments is when he's selling the jacket to the to the uh, <laughs> to the uh, it's not the postmaster. Now? It's the um, maybe it was the postmaster. Or was that the bald guy? No, well, the postmaster is the master. It's yeah. uh, gosh, I can't remember who it is, but yeah. Anyway, he's a, he's a larger man, and the jacket clearly does not fit. And so Bogart takes the jacket. He says, "Oh, well, uh, you know, let me go ch- get you a bigger one from stock." And he goes back into the back room and he waits ten seconds, and he comes back with exactly the same jacket and says, "Oh, that's much better." As he tries it on, and it fits exactly the same way. And the guy immediately <laughs> like, hands. You're so lucky. <laughs> There's only one left, two sizes larger. <laughs> it's it is just executed perfectly that sort of vaudeville uh you know jacket exchange that is just perfect and uh, uh and funny and they discover that that this is Bogart's hidden gift that that he is uh or his criminal gift he's able he's he's uh, the the criminal charismatic right, right that's his that's his superhero power his super criminal power <laughs> And he starts uh, developing this sort of soft spot for this family. And they start doing things around the kitchen table, and they start preparing for, for Christmas dinner. And at, at one point, he says, you know, I'm going to go buy a, a Christmas uh, turkey. He says, mm-hmm. really? Did you, did you mean buy? Peter Ustinov's character says, did you really mean buy? He says, yes, yes, for the spirit of it. The tricky part is going to be how I'm going to steal the money to pay for it. <laughs> That's great. It's really, it's perfect. Uh, so then they get this letter that Cousin Andre is coming. The letter also includes a um, uh, on uh, a second page that says, you know, I have betrothed my uh, my nephew, uh, whom the daughter of the the shopkeeper family is in love with. He's betrothed to the shipbuilder uh, shipbuilder's wife or daughter because I need to uh, I need to have shipping in my business, and so mm-hmm. her great love is now out of reach, and she is de- devastated. Devastated, she faints. Devastated, she faints, and that's that is, I think, one of the first sort of great, great switch. I actually have the movie playing right now as we're talking, and it's it's it just hit the the fainting part, and uh, uh, I, I guess it's uh, Aldo Ray's character says, "Go, go get some water." And Bogart goes and gets some water, brings no, Bogart, back a glass Bogart of water. Bogart says, go get some water. Oh, he says, Aldo go get some water. Aldo goes and gets the water, and he comes back. Bogart takes the water. You <laughs> think he's going to take it for the for the girl, and he takes a big drink of it. 
And and what you expect is Aldo Ray looks up and he reaches back for the water as if he's going to give it to the girl. But he takes the water, takes a big drink of it himself, and hands it back to Humphrey Bogart, which is who, who then passes it to uh, to Jules, who also takes who also takes a big slug of it. The girl, however, never gets any water at all. Yeah, no, that's it's fantastic. Really fantastic. <laughs> So she keep, she has a passing out problem. She keeps passing out whenever she's yes. is shocked with some other uh, uh some new piece of news. And then they they go into the the bit of of uh of Aldo Ray carrying her into her bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh back and forth into the bedroom every time she passes out. So Let's, we Let me let me pause real quick. Yeah. Um because there's something that we we didn't talk about which um which I I want to make sure that we mention which I think was really a genius um, way to set up this story and that is that well we we did mention it but what happens is they come into the place and they are looking for a way to kind of hustle them and they they say oh hey your roof's leaking we'll fix it for you so they can make some money right right so then these three criminals they they go up to the roof at the conveniently placed ladder right in the middle of the shop in the middle of the showroom yeah i I mean didn't quite get that but anyway these these guys sit there and basically go from window to window watching the life of, <laughs> of like all the troubles with this family. We, they learn about the money trouble. They learn about Isabel's love um, for Paul, which was a great reveal as as her mom says, oh, haven't you read her her diary? <laughs> and her, You've her read her like, private pages? Read her private thoughts? And she's like, well, why do you think I gave her the diary? <laughs> <I know. laughs> which is great. <laughs> So, but it's a really, I I found it a really interesting way to introduce, there's a lot of exposition going on with this family, and we learn it all as these three are up on the roof, kind of like spying on the family. But if you think about it in context of the film, it was a really interesting way to set up this guardian angel feel for these guys, where they're overhead kind of looking down on them. It really is. Uh, that's a, a great point. And for some, and and the reason this works, the reason actually the exposition, the rather long-winded exposition in some of these scenes, the setup scenes, kind of the first twenty minutes of the movie. There's a lot of just sort of talking before you get into the prank. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I think as a as a viewer, you you are able to buy that is the simple, quick clips back to the three faces looking mm-hmm. into the window. Mm-hmm. That that is enough of an exchange, and those guys are so goofy mm-hmm. uh, that that you buy it. Their reaction shots are great, uh, and I think they're only discovered once. And I this is this is one of those pieces that I think is is uh, particularly good, right? Because it's when the mom uh, Amelie, right, mm-hmm. she is trying to um, get her dress she's she's tightening her corset tightening her corset and she looks up and she sees the guys in the window and this is when uh, aldo (laughs) ray says she's quite beautiful i'm going to be think she's quite a handsome woman i'm going to be thinking about her as i go to bed this evening (laughs) and she screams and uh and and runs out and says there are convicts on the roof and her husband says, "Oh yes, those are my, those are my pet convicts that I've hired to fix the roof," and and it it sort of releases the the comic pressure, right? That mm-hmm. okay, it's a we we've set up the guardian angel bit, and yet it's somehow neutered mm-hmm. because we yeah. knew they were there watching the whole time. Right, right, right. It's not a secret. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, and, and they keep doing it, and and no one ever notices them again. No. <laughs> it's it's great. It's just it, it's been acknowledged. You know, the family now knows they're there. We're not going to worry about it anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> well, it's, it's fantastic. And uh, you know, the other piece that sort of keeps coming out is, um, you know, their their crimes. At this point, they've started to reveal each of their gifts, their special gifts. Yes. Yes. Uh, and and in in Peter Ustinov's case, he's a safe cracker. That's before he before he went to jail. He was cracking safes, and so he has this he has this moment where he needs to open the cash box, and he the only way he can do it is getting down on his knees, making everybody close their eyes, and he closes his eyes because he's so used to doing it in the dark, right. and he like caresses it lovingly, and then he taps it with a little karate chop, and it opens. Yeah. I know it's like it's like a baby karate chop. It's, <laughs> it's just so a cute. little wee baby karate chop. And what I love about this this um device that they have with him and how he's this safe cracker and how he does this goes up to that locked door they have to get into to like go steal the um the uncle's will i believe and he does the exact same thing with the door he caresses it and he (laughs) finds that sweet spot baby karate chop and it opens and this giant safe opens (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so that's his skill uh, we know we've already gotten Bogart and I guess we kind of covered all. Yeah, of them. we kind of covered all of them, but yeah. those are they're, they've sort of are unraveling at this point. And, and you know, I, I think what else is interesting is, is, you know, we meet other people in their world, in the, in the shopkeeper's world. Well, not that many, but we meet cousin Andre, we meet Paul, and then we also meet this interesting shopper. Um, what was her name? <laughs> the, Madame, the delicious Madame, Madame Parole. The delicious fat woman. Yes, <laughs> there's plenty of her to love. <laughs> and, and she, she's know, the cranky c- uh, person. Like she's, the, she's well, on she's, credit. She's the one who's using up all the credit, and she conveniently returns the empty bottle of uh, of uh, I can't remember what alcohol she bought. Yeah, but she, says she, it was full she, of water. It's full of water. Which yeah, I was like, okay, lady. But I, I thought that was interesting. It's it's an interesting play on you know who's the criminals in this world. You know, right. Right. So. Back to those sort of those moral arguments that on on the one hand, you may think it was actually full of water. Of course, it wasn't. But uh, anyway, so we um, the, the the real fun of the movie starts once Basil Rathbone gets there. But before he does, um, I'm not going to let you get jump that far ahead. real quick. OK, <laughs> we have it's it's a really interesting scene where these three guys they've now like completely fallen for this family to the point where yeah like we were talking about they get the christmas turkey they go steal flowers off the governor's lawn they go steal a christmas tree off the governor's lawn like they deck they make christmas these are three guys who are wanted escape convicts (laughs) yet here they are like going and, and getting all this stuff and they like bring out this spectacular Christmas for this family who is just, you know, this poor little family struggling along and they make just an amazing Christmas. I mean, they even like sing a, sing a, a song for the family. Right. Right. That you know, you're right to, to come back to that because that, that's the heart of the movie. I mean, that's what makes this whole thing a Christmas movie. And it's the, it, it's the bit that allows this poor family who knows that the next day they're going to be, you know, just broken mm-hmm. uh, because they have no profit and they have exhausted all their credit and their their own clients and their own customers are robbing them blind. Right. Uh, but but here's this evening where these these degenerate convicts actually remind them that there is hope in the yeah. world. It's it's really 
like a, I thought it was just kind of like a really beautiful scene. I was like, yeah. this is a great moment right in the middle of this film. I mean, it almost felt like, you know, in a different film, that could have been the end of the film, yeah. like the, the big moment where you have this amazing Christmas and, and that would have been it. I mean, it was a beautiful moment. Well, and it's sort of punctuated by, you know, the, they move out to the garden and, and uh, you know, the father comes back and he has this stumbling sort of... Uh, uh, it's sort of heartrending um giving scene where he is presenting the guys with a present from them and he says mm-hmm. you know we didn't have time to go get you anything but we just and well we needed and merry christmas and he gives them this envelope yes that's the uh the ever fantastic leo g carroll yes leo g yeah. carroll and so he turns around and, and bogart takes it and he opens it and he shows the other guys sort of under his uh kind of around his side he pulls out that there's money in there and everybody looks at the the at each other like wow they didn't have to do this yeah it's that moment where we we get to we get to see again it's just punctuating these sort of little morality moments these data points that build that there's some heart in these convicts and and it's and that plays off really interestingly because then as the family goes off and goes to bed uh these three uh criminals have this conversation that's all about like well how can we cut their throats now yeah. as if even through all of that like all of the christmas preparation and everything they were still planning on ending it with slitting their throats robbing them and running out to the ship yeah. And it's yeah. not until that moment that all of a sudden they're like, how can we do this? And, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a great line because Bogey's just like, you guys are like acting like you don't want to cut their throats. And Aldo Ray is like, well, after all, it might spoil their Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, I mean, they, they really do get attached to this family. I mean, it's, 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 it's poignant. It is poignant. That is and the then... Basil Rathbone arrives. He's a horrible person. He and his <laughs> nephew are there. Horrible. Oh my He's goodness! A, they're horrible people, and they're there really to to you know take back the company and destroy this family that's running it. They're cousins that are running it. Uh, very disrespectful. Uh, and and I kind of want to rush on a little bit just because you know there's a lot of sort of transitional material, but um, but the bottom line is there the criminals' plan begins to evolve. As mm-hmm. they start to, uh, they they realize who the bad guy is, and they realize that the family is going to be broken up, and they start thinking, "Gosh, wouldn't it be convenient if this jerk cousin Andre met with an accident?" Right. <laughs> now, convenience. Uh, convenience is in a cage, as it happens, and and <laughs> what we didn't bring up this whole time that there is a fourth convict. Uh, in it, that that uh, Aldo Ray's character has been carrying around with him in a small wooden box, which is a highly poisonous, venomous snake. Yes, his pet viper named Adolf. <laughs> uh, uh. And uh, so Adolf is is in the room, and and they uh, and, and they they come to the conclusion that they're going to uh, they're they're going to help cousin Andre meet with an accident at the hands of Adolf. Right, right. There is, I, I, I think it's my favorite scene in the film. Is when these three convicts. Uh, so cousin Andre goes into his room. Oh no, it's it's that transition. He comes out and he says, "What's in this box? What are you doing with this box? This is yeah, our property. It? You're stealing our property." 
<laughs> and they're like, no, 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 it's no, mine. He's like, it's of course s- it's not. What's in the box? Tell me what's in the box. It's a snake. No, it's not. I'm sure it's one of our property. <laughs> Until you tell me what it is. And he proceeds to take the box into his into his bedchamber yes. and close the door. And <laughs> this is my favorite scene in the movie. It's the scene where the three convicts sit around the table and move in <laughs> slow motion, trying to determine who is going to rush in and tell him not to open the box. And it's the the most painfully slow, <laughs> gut-wrenching uh, movie. It's that it's where uh, you just you're watching you're watching them cross the stage yeah. and it takes forever for them to get from one side, they decide that they're going to uh, sit around and they're going to cut cards to see who gets to go in. <laughs> and and so Bogart stands up and he slowly walks across to the bureau and he picks up some cards and slowly walks back to the table. And they all, they kind of had their heads in their hands and they all each take a bit of card and they realize that it's Bogart that needs to go, be the one to go in. He draws the, the card that... Uh, Indicates he needs to go into the room, and he says, well, I guess I better go in. He stands up slowly and walks slowly and painfully into the room, and he comes back out, and they say, did you did you tell Cousin uh, Andre uh, that not to open the box because of the poisonous viper? Yeah, he already knew. <laughs> uh, that is truly a fantastic scene. It is. Just the way it plays out, because to be to be fair to the criminals— they had decided to to um, use Adolf to poison um, cousin Andre, but then just before they do, they they change their tune and they say, "Oh no, no, we we can't do that. That's not right." And then Andre takes the, uh, not Andre, yeah, cousin Andre, cousin Andre. He takes the snake and he refuses to give it to them. And so it was a great it was a great little turn and and. Uh, <laughs> it, and you know, just letting it was that that decision where the criminals let the fates decide. Yes, yes. They are they they, they proceed with would, impunity. It's perfect. It was truly genius. <laughs> now, even <laughs> even better. So they 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 off him and what they end up doing is they write the uh, the fake uh, the the counterfeit will right. and and make it a suicide. Bequeathing the family with all of his fortune. Exactly. But but nephew Paul, who it turns out is a scumbag. More of a scumbag almost than right. cousin Andre. Because, you know, he goes in and he discovers that cousin Andre is, is, uh, is dead and, uh, finds the will they, that they had planted and burns it so mm-hmm. that he can be the sole heir and take over everything. And the guys discover this and obviously they are, uh, incensed. Uh, but Paul goes into the, into the, uh, the room where the body of cousin Andre is and comes back out a few minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it says anybody know anything about snakes in the area? <laughs> Why is that? Well, I've just been bit by one, and there's this wonderful moment where the guys are all laughing hysterically because this 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 whole situation is just sort of taking care of itself. It's oh, just yeah, un- it's, it's really been perfect. And and at no point in this whole bit. Do you feel like it's a gimmick that's being pulled over on the audience? It feels like it just is really it's paced well. They're it, they're good practical jokes, and uh, and and at the the whole time they are building heart in these these three characters. Yeah, they really are. They really end up uh, to the point where they build so much heart in these characters that at the end of the film, they they basically resolve. You know what? 
prison life is actually pretty good. <laughs> because they <laughs> going end- back out into the real world, it's not going to be that great. We're going to have all <laughs> like do all this junk again. Well, I feel like we need to find the what was the uh, the line? There was a great line about how <laughs> that I've absolutely spaced. You're going to remember it's when they talk about how you certainly meet uh, uh, like worse people on the outside, right? Like they're be the as if to say that the prisoners prisoners are the more uh, sort of ethical uh, lot to hook up with. Um, it's it's that whole thing is just so great. This whole thing, you know, they'll, they'll really be happy to see us back. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, oh gosh, see, I'm gonna. I took I took these notes. Uh, I'll say one thing for crooks. They do give you an honest day's work. <laughs> that is a great line. Oh, man. Ugh, that's the way that's it is. Scary. In the midst of life, et cetera, et cetera. I forget the rest of it. <laughs> oh, best line. Don't misunderstand me. It's true that I never liked my cousin, only because he was not likable. He had a good. He had a number of good points, I'm sure. I just can't think of any. <laughs> That's the shopkeeper, Felix, uh, talking about Cousin oh, Andre. He's, he's just great. <laughs> In the immortal words of somebody or other, oh, well, well done, done. Adolf. <laughs> oh, oh well, it's, uh, it, it's a terrific, uh, it's a terrific holiday film. It's, it's just the right amount of dark, uh, and all of the darkness just sort of resolves uh, it, itself and, and dissolves into just a nice feel-good uh, comedic romp through history. You know, it's, it's, uh, I would, I would almost say that this, this could become a Christmas film that I would want to put in every holiday season. Yeah. It's just, it's such a nice change of pace for a Christmas film. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I don't, I don't think they did it as a Christmas film when they did this, the remake in the nineties, did they? Or 80s I don't or 90s? know. I, I don't believe they did. Now this was the, we're talking about the Sean Penn, um, Robert, De Robert De Niro, De Niro yeah, remake, uh, Demi Moore. Directed. It yeah, was, Moore, right? uh, you know, that was a, that a little bit of a different gig. Uh, the, right. Well, we should say, well, they're this, gangsters, right? Aren't they? They're, they're gangsters and they are hiding out. Uh, they're trying to get across the border from, Canada, I think, or was, yeah, Canada, was the, Canada US, the U.S. or vice versa. Yeah, and so they're they're trying to get out of of get out of or whatever country in, into whatever country they're you know changing countries, and they they take up as as monks as priests in a monastery, mm-hmm. right, right, and um, and that's uh, that's the gimmick is they you know they end up uh, you know finding their soul. One of them does. And decides mm. to become a priest, and it's a, it is not the same movie by any stretch. Even though, um, you know, uh, the the shared writing credits for the original, it is just not the same film. Uh, this was uh, Ran- Ranald Ranald McDougal. Ranald McDougal, uh, who he, uh, actually, I mean, he did get um, credit or some credit, I think, for that for the remake. He so, did, I mean, but only the credit was only as prior screenplay. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, and, which is interesting because, I mean, he based it on a play which was based on a play. <laughs> a play, uh, My Three Angels, which apparently is much, much darker. This is By been... Samuel and Bella Spiewak. Right. Uh, but they based their play on the French play, um, 
by Albert Albert Husson, mm-hmm. something like that. So it's this. This is a this is a a property that has something of a complicated genetic history. Yeah. Uh, but but this one is in in terms of the film is is the first of the canon. We're No Angels, the 1989 remake is not. It's so far, uh, it which I actually thought was quite a good movie, uh, but I don't see any relationship to this one. Yeah, I, I never have seen it, but. You know, after watching this one, I don't know if I would be um, champing at the bit. You'll to go feel you'll be jaded. You'll yeah, be jaded. Yeah. You know, give it time. Give it time. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what we were talking about. I had we had a plan a point. Uh, uh, maybe nothing. We were talking about. Um, I don't remember remake. Yeah, remake. So they they were uh, they were priests. This one. Um, much less uh, oh okay so the movie ends uh I, we got to talk about the ending of the movie it's perfect uh, mm. they uh they put on suits they finally get their suits uh mm-hmm. and and you'd, you'd seen throughout the movie there are some cutaways where they've they're going through racks looking at clothes that they can take to get out of their pink striped prison garb and in the end they finally get their suits and you see them walk out of the office and they or out of the store as the the shopkeeper and his wife come back in and they they exchange um, platitudes and and gratitudes, and that's when they sit. The the three criminals actually come to mind that they're they're going to turn themselves back into. Prison. Well, yeah, they walk all the way to the dock. Yeah, all the, all the way down to the back dock. to the docks. Right. Yeah. Right where we began, mm-hmm. and they say, you know, this is uh, there's a far uh, higher caliber of of person inside, and and I could really use the sleep. Uh, <laughs> and so they 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 turn around together and they start walking back up the hill, and what happens? Uh, Three perfect halos pop over each of their heads, and then one more tiny one over Adolf the snake. <laughs> and those four characters and this ha- and these and their halos walk up the hill, and that's how the movie closes, yeah. uh, with a great Hollywood ending. Yeah, the end and the flourish. It's it's uh, it's perfect. I it like really to, I like hearing that you're going to add you, you might add this to your holiday uh, playlist film list. It, it's a great holiday film, and yeah. it's just it's such a refreshing difference from the rest of the films, um, you know, that are kind of the the standard. Although, you know, I don't know, it's a wonderful life is a standard one, and that's kind of a dark film too. Yeah, uh, you know, that definitely has a dark spin. Miracle but, on Thirty Fourth Street, not so dark. Not so dark. Um, uh, Christmas Story. The Christmas not so Story. Dark. Not so. I was going to suggest, uh, and uh, you know, you can't forget Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation. There's not a little, dark. There's a little, little dark. The cat. A little bit the of dark. The cat. The cat. The squirrel. You, where did you? How did you end up watching this movie? Because you didn't have it. How did you end you up? You know, doing that? actually, I'm glad you brought that up because this is not an easy film to to get a hold of. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. Nowadays, mm. it's not so hard getting a hold of anything, but it's not available in very many um, ways. The only way that I found that you could get it is through Amazon.com's um, either rental or purchase, you know, plan. You can. It's a nine ninety nine or two ninety nine. Yeah, nine ninety nine to purchase, or, but then it's just in your catalog. You can't like download yeah. it. Right. Well, I I purchased it yeah. from Amazon because um, sometimes I just take way too long watching a movie. You know, I'll ha- you, I don't know the life of having kids is like sometimes it's watching things yeah. in ten minute yeah. increments. Um, or I just fall asleep because I'm exhausted, which is probably happens more often than not. But, um, you can't I, get it on Netflix. 
you can't get it on Netflix. You so, can um, get it, however, you can rent it in iTunes. But you can't you purchase can't it through purchase iTunes. You can't purchase it, which is very frustrating. Well, and because I knew I probably would um, have to watch it over a couple uh, periods, I purchased it. And now I'm really glad I did. Yeah. You know, I've watched a time and a half already, and I can guarantee that I will be watching it again. Did you watch it with your wife? Did she seen it yet? Uh, no, she didn't see it. She didn't. So All I'm right. excited to uh, to kind of get her to watch it. Yeah. And it'll be a, a fun one to throw in there. Great movie. Great movie. Thank this you so good. much s- for for picking it. Uh, you are so welcome. I'm glad to uh, uh, introduce it to you. And I'm uh, we're going to get back on track next week. What are we doing uh, next week again? Uh, we're jumping back into Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> are we? Did we decide we're going to do um, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind? Yeah, next? but we're. Gonna, I thought we were going to do Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. And skip Confessions. Well, we're going to do Confessions, but later. Oh, we're just going to kind of throw it in there at the end. Well, I don't know. I mean, we can we can even skip around. Yeah, that's fine. Well, let's do. Um, uh, I don't even. Do... I, I, we could even skip around now if you want. You want to? We could put uh, spotless mind. Are you are you up for spotless mind? Are you excited? Are you on a roll? Are you feeling like you're on a roll? Uh, yeah, I'm very excited for spotless. Let's mind. do the spotless mind. Yeah, let's right, do next that week one. is spotless mind, and then we'll do okay. confessions much later. That's a that's that was a Clooney, right? Yeah, that was Maybe one that George we, Clooney directed. We, we could do a Clooney, uh, a little Clooney set. Our favorite, Clo- our favorite three Clooney movies, like the ones that he's directed, or no, any just Clooney, any Clooney. Well, that could be fun. Yeah. All right, enough out of you. This this is good. You think about that. I uh, I'm really excited about this movie. Excited to get back. Oh into, hey, yeah. Hey what? hey hey. Before we end, I have to say this because I I think that it it's such another great little tie in. To the fact that we ended up watching this for a holiday film. Yeah. Mike Curtis, the director of this film, he was born on Christmas Day. No, he was not. Born on Christmas Day, or 1888. That's fantastic. Uh, we couldn't have, you know, <laughs> asked for that to happen. It was, it was quite uh, crazy. So there you go. Way to go. Way to go, Michael Curtis. Yep. You go, random event that shaped the nature of our lives. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm. I think I'm good. I'll here, here. You. I'll catch you uh, next week. Sounds good, my friend. All right. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, 
go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.